Greetings in the precious name of the Lord Jesus. It's good to see all of you this morning. I uh, appreciated the service so far, things that have been shared. Why don't we stand together and we'll have a brief moment of prayer. Father, thank you for this assembly. Thank you for all who are here. Thank you for your presence that is here with us. Thank you for your care in each of our lives. Father, today again, as we dedicate one hour to listen to your word, to expound on your word, to allow our hearts to look in the mirror of truth and uh, consider the reflection we see in our own lives. Father, thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. Thank you for the freedom to gather in this way. And Father, again today, we just ask you to Bless us, pour out your spirit upon us, make your word relevant to our lives and to our experiences. Father, pray, Father, if there's anyone who had a desire to be here and were not able, that you would bless them also, meet their needs, and uh, in some way, uh, yeah, minister to them. Father, as we as we look in the scriptures, we just ask for your blessing and your grace. We ask it in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> Some times in life. You find yourself in conversations with people, discussions are happening, and someone makes a statement that kind of jars your mind a bit, and you think, I don't want to forget that one. There's something a bit profound there, and you don't want to forget it. You want to think about it. You want to consider it, you want to ponder it. My wife and I had that experience last Saturday after the wedding. We were sitting out on the picnic tables behind uh, the church there at Harmony, where I came out there and found my wife in several other people, and several of the Lebanon City students that were at the wedding, the girls, were sitting back there on the swings, playing and swinging and chatting, and I sat in into that uh, circle of conversation, and um, it was... It was one of those conversations where just 
it kind of goes this way and that way, random things get said. And there was a statement made there by one of the, one of this, uh, Lebanon city students that is a regular at our, uh, at the ministry there. I don't even know and remember what the context exactly was of the statement. I don't remember the, the things that were said surrounding it. But in, for some reason, Sarai made the comment that y'all are real people with boundaries. Y'all are real people with boundaries. And that's, uh, that stuck. Uh, all of us, uh, my wife and uh, I and several other uh, folks sitting there, it just, it stuck. It It's like, whoa, that is a loaded statement. Something to think about, something to take home and ponder. You know, what was she thinking when she said that? What was it that caused her to make that statement? What was it that caused her to arrive at the conclusion that she arrived at? Uh, what did it actually mean? What does that statement actually mean? What did it mean to her? I don't know. Um, exactly what that all meant. But I took the liberty to think about and try to think from her perspective what she might have meant. Real people with boundaries. What are real people? What are boundaries? We're going to, this morning, look at about five points or so that might, just might be what real people experience, what real people look like as you look on. You all are real people with boundaries. One of the things that I thought about as I as I considered that statement and where it came from and what it might have meant is that real people enjoy life. Maybe that's not what you were looking for. Maybe that sounds very unspiritual to you. But that's just the first point. But you know, sometimes, and I don't know about you, but sometimes, let me say it this way, sometimes to the world looking on, our lives as conservative Christians can appear to be quite cumbersome, and burdensome. That can be the perspective that they get. 
it can appear like our Christian faith denies us everything that is enjoyable. Remember, I said it can appear that way. I didn't say it is that way, but it can appear that way. You know, we recognize that the scripture acknowledges that sin has temporary pleasures. They're short-lived. And since we, as professed Christians, followers of Jesus Christ, don't participate in a life of sin, then it must be a boring and dull life. That's the perspective that can be, can be, uh, can be gotten, can be had sometimes. But there's a verse in First Peter. I think I'll have you turn to it. First Peter three ten. Peter says this, For he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips that they speak no guile. Now there's more to that context, but I'd like to park on the first part of the verse for a bit. For he that will love life and see good days. You know, that is presuming something there. That is presuming that it's okay to enjoy life. And to desire to enjoy life, to to, to desire uh, to see good days, to see pleasant days, to see life uh, as a pleasant, joyful, good experience. That's not wrong. It's right, actually. He that will, he that desires uh, to see uh, to see a pleasant, a joyful life. There's obviously there's a context uh, and there's instruction given on how to actually uh, uh, attain that. Um, But real people enjoy life. You know, to enjoy the the definition simply is to take to take delight or pleasure in Uh, to take delight. Do you take delight in life day in and day out? Do you take pleasure in life? Probably not every moment. Likely not. You'd be the first person I met if you said you do. But we recognize that we do take pleasure in life, don't we? We, we, we do desire life to be a, an enjoyable experience for, in the general uh, sense. Not, uh, we recognize that it's not always that way. But while there are many difficulties... And hardships in life. And there are times of mourning and times of heaviness, times of sadness. Yet, life is meant to be enjoyed. But, there are boundaries that affect that, in, that effect, that enjoyment, which Peter gives us here. Um, that, uh, that verse is surrounded and couched by uh, a number of instructions. A number of uh, exhortations. 
So if we just uh, back up two verses and begin reading there, he says, Finally, be ye all of one mind, have compassion one of another, love as brethren, be pitiful, be courteous, not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing, but contrarywise blessing, knowing that ye are thereunto called, that ye should inherit a blessing. For he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips that they speak no guile. Let him eschew evil and do good. Let him seek peace and ensue it. For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous and his ears are open unto their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. So that gives us a context of enjoying life. He that will love life. He that will enjoy life. There are boundaries, aren't there? There are specifics that you're going to have to pay attention to if you're going to love life. There are boundaries that are going to, going to facilitate the love of life, you could say. Um, so, real people with boundaries. And here's some of the boundaries. Here's some of the realness. They enjoy life. You know, people should actually see that from us. They should see that we actually enjoy life. We are enjoying what we're doing in life. And, and, uh, uh, yeah, uh, it, it's, it's not going to be attractive at all if it looks like drudgery and sadness and, and, uh, uh, yeah, the opposite of, of, uh, of enjoyment. Like we said, it's, it's not that every moment is spent in enjoyment as such, but real people enjoy life. Real people with boundaries. So that's the first, uh, point that I wanted to give a little attention to. The second point I'd like to give a little thought to is that uh, real people are at times disappointed. Remember, um, y'all are real people with boundaries. Let's go to John 6, the Gospel of John, chapter 6. Beginning in verse 53 and reading to verse uh, 67. Give us the context here. Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except ye eat the flesh of the Son of Man, and drink his blood, ye have no life in you. Whosoever eateth my flesh, and drinketh my blood, hath eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He that eateth my flesh, and drinketh my blood, dwelleth in me, and I in him. As the living Father hath sent me, and I live by the Father, so he that eateth me, even he shall live by me. This is that bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers did eat manna and are dead. He that eateth of this bread shall live forever. These things said he in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Many therefore of his disciples, when they heard this, said, This is a hard saying. Who can hear it? When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured at it, he said unto them, Doth this offend you? What, and if ye shall see the Son of Man ascend up 
where he was before. It is the spirit that quickeneth, the flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. But there are some of you that believe not. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed not and who should betray him. And he said, Therefore said I unto you that no man can come unto me except it were given unto him of my father. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Now, just park there for a moment. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. It's a defining moment in Jesus' experience. He's given them truth. He exhort, uh, he, he recognized that they gagged on it. He reminded them that this is, these, there's, there's a spiritual truth here. Look past the, the natural illustration that's making you gag. There's a spiritual truth that you want to get. And many didn't get it. Many turned back and walked no more with him. Then said Jesus unto the twelve, Will ye also go away? Do you think do you think there was disappointment in the heart of Jesus as he watched person after person turn around and leave leave the audience? Think there was disappointment? I suspect there was. Real people are at times disappointed. Let's uh let's go to Mark, no? Matthew, Matthew 26, verse 40. This is the, uh, Jesus in the, in the Garden of Gethsemane. And, I'll break in in verse 36 to give us more context. Then cometh Jesus with them unto a place called Gethsemane, and saith unto the disciples, Sit ye here while I go yonder and go and pray yonder. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and began to be very be sorrowful and very heavy. Then said he unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful even unto death. Tarry ye here and watch with me. And he went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, O my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. And he cometh unto the disciples and findeth them asleep and saith unto Peter, What? Could ye not watch with me one hour? Again, I raise the question, was Jesus disappointed? He had given... Uh, Peter and, and the disciples uh, kind of give it, he'd given them an instruction. He said, tarry ye here and watch with me. And then when he comes, they're asleep. You know, he was in, he was in the, what appears to be the deepest agony that he faced in his earthly lifetime. And he had uh, 
at some measure had counted on his disciples to, I'm going to say, understand and and uh, watch with him. Uh, and they're sleeping. I suspect he was disappointed. Let me just uh, read Luke twenty-two sixty-one and 62. And the Lord turned and looked upon Peter, and Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said unto him, Before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. You know, that, uh, that's when Peter denied Jesus before the, or yeah, denied Jesus before the, uh, the three times while Jesus was on trial. And uh, this scripture says that uh, at the third denial, the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Think, you know, Jesus knew it was going to happen. But you think that prevented disappointment? I think he was probably disappointed to actually see it and hear it unfolding in his very ears. Hearing Peter deny Real people face disappointments. Life is not always, life's circumstances are not always what we desire. It doesn't always rain when we wish it would. Right? Sometimes it gets dry and our crops suffer. It's not really what we desire. We're probably a little bit disappointed. Then comes this cloud in the sky and when we start to get hope it's going to rain and then it kind of goes around us and goes by our neighbor. Life circumstances sometimes disappoint us. We make plans. To do something, to have a have an enjoyable event together or whatever. Get a certain project accomplished. And something comes up and interferes with our plans and it all falls apart. Not what we hope for. Life has disappointments. We face disappointments at times. Sometimes people disappoint us. They let us down. They don't deliver what we expected. You know, we had some kind of an expectation and the person didn't deliver. You know, wives, probably every wife in this room at some point disappointed her husband in some measure, in some way. Likely, Likely every husband in this room in some way, in some point, disappointed his wife. Children disappoint their parents. Parents disappoint their children. Friends disappoint friends. Brothers disappoint brothers. Sisters disappoint sisters. Real people. We're real people, right? 
Real people face disappointments. It's a part of life. It's a part of our experience. And we don't deny it. Because we're real people. And real people face disappointments. But we're real people with boundaries. Thought about Ahab too. Was Ahab disappointed? He had his eyes set on a vineyard. He wanted it. He was told no. Ahab was such a gentleman. He said, okay, I understand. <laughs> totally the opposite. Went home, crawled in his bed, turned his face to the wall and sulked. You ever hear of a more childish uh, demeanor? Ahab was disappointed. That was his response to disappointment. There'd probably be others in the scripture we could we could look to, but uh, anyhow, what do we do when we're disappointed? Disappointed with life, disappointed with people. How do we respond? Are there boundaries that guide us in our disappointment? Real people with boundaries. I think the scripture has a lot of boundaries, but we'll just look at uh, one one scripture in Ephesians chapter 4. Many of you could probably say this one by memory. Ephesians 4, 31 and 32. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be ye kind one to another tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Does that sound like boundaries that would surround uh, the disappointments that we might face in life? Does that sound like some good boundaries to put in place when we face disappointments? I think so. Uh, first off, you know, when we face disappointments, that's when there's a temptation to become bitter. You know, just even bitter toward God. So the neighbor gets an inch of rain and I get one drop in my rain gauge. And, and, and this goes on for the rest of the summer and I might start to feel almost angry at God because I'm just not getting any rain in my crops and they're dying and my neighbor's getting good rains. This would be a good boundary. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And I realize this is is directing it not per se toward God, but we can think about it that way. It's directing it toward us and, and the people we relate to, which, uh, yeah, real people with boundaries. When the temptation comes to... Uh, get upset because of the disappointments, then we have these instructions to put away the the wrath, the anger, the evil speaking, and to be kind and to be tender-hearted and to be forgiving, just like Christ did for us. Real people 
at times are at times disappointed. The next one I'd like to look at is real people are at times tempted to sin. First uh, scripture I'd like to look at is in James. Chapter 1. Read verse 12 through verse 16. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to them that love him. Let no man say, when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Do not err, my beloved brethren. Real people are at times tempted to sin. This scripture um, bears out that fact that you know, uh, that's a reality. It uh, pronounces a blessing on the individual who endures through that temptation, comes through. It uh, sets a record clear on what actually facilitates temptation. It's not God. It's actually our own fleshly lusts and desires that come from within us is where uh, temptations have their beginnings. Uh, sometimes we blame it on the devil. Yeah, there is a place in all that. We recognize that. We recognize the world has a, a place in it. You know, uh, But basically we're looking at the reality that real people face temptation. Romans 6 Verse 12 and 13 says this, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. These verses speak not only of the temptation to sin, but also of the very real possibility of yielding to the temptation. Um, Neither yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God. And John, in 1 John 1 verse 8, says that if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So reality is, real people are at times tempted to sin. But remember, real people with boundaries. We don't stop there. That we're, you know, and and just park and say, oh well, this is how I am. This is what life is like. We're all tempted to sin. Well, that's true. But we're we're not using that as an excuse.
Maybe getting a little more context in Romans there as we think about the boundaries, the boundary part of this uh, discussion. Romans 6 verse 11, Likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not under the law, but under grace. And that whole chapter would speak to this subject. Uh, Real people with boundaries. While we... Uh, while we face times and seasons of temptation, there are boundaries that guide us in those times and in those moments. And we have it right here. Uh, we choose uh, to not allow sin to reign. We choose to yield ourselves to God. And uh, Recognizing that sin does not have dominion, sin does not have the upper hand. Sin is not the uh, is not in control. And John in First John one nine he says, "If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness." Thank God for forgiveness. But cleansing goes beyond forgiveness. Cleansing moves us past it to a new reality. And then just one more scripture in Colossians, and you can turn there as well. Colossians chapter 3. I'll just read the first ten verses. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth on the right on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things of the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. And that's... Uh, that's um, those, those first four verses state somewhat our position in Christ. If you are risen with Christ, if you are a new creature in Christ, um, set your affections and so on. And then verse 5, mortify therefore because of this reality, because you are risen with Christ, mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. And then jumping down to verse 8, but now ye also put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing ye have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. So there we have the boundaries um, that surround temptation. You know, real people face are, are at times tempted to sin. But we have boundaries. We mortify. We put off. We put in place. Uh, the. We follow the instructions that our Lord gives us to, to deal with that matter, to deal with that issue, to, 
to uh, find the victory, to be an overcomer, and uh, portray that life of victory that uh, God has for us. So real people are at times tempted to sin. The fourth point I'd like to give some time to is real people at times carry burdens. Um, And again, our scripture will turn to 2 Corinthians 6. But like we said earlier, this this probably uh, overlaps a little bit, but life is real. Situations come up, and sometimes they feel huge, and sometimes we find ourselves carrying them in our hearts, and sometimes they feel like they're going to crush us, depending on the nature of those burdens. That's a reality. I think probably all of you have at some point face those kind of realities. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 4, this is Paul uh, just sharing a little bit of insight into some of what he faced. But in all things, approving ourselves as the ministers of God in much patience, in afflictions, in necessities, in distresses, in, two, in stripes, in imprisonments, in tumults, in laborings, in watchings, in fastings. He gives a, a fair list of uh, what you could call uh, burdens, just challenging situations that life uh, brought his way. Quite challenging. Uh, he gives some I'll just read on there. By pureness, by knowledge, by long-suffering, by kindness, by the Holy Ghost, by love unfeigned, by the word of truth, by the power of God, by the armor of righteousness on the right hand on the left. Speaking of the boundaries, the things that helped him. By honor and dishonor, by evil report and good report, as deceivers yet true. As unknown and yet well-known, as dying and behold we live. As chastened and not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing as poor, yet making many rich, as having nothing and yet possessing all things. Um, You know, it's hard to know and understand exactly what he was facing in all those situations, but it describes a wide array of challenging experiences and circumstances in his life, and probably plenty of opportunity to be carrying burdens. Um, doesn't really uh, it doesn't uh, give us a lot of breadth as to how he related to it all, uh, but uh, it does give us some breadth on 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 the various burdens he might have faced. And the question is, what? did he do with them and what should we do with them when we find ourselves carrying burdens? Real people at times carry burdens. I'm sure, I've, I, I know I've been there and I'm sure that you've been there uh, where sometimes you, you go through life and 
and little by little things stack up in your heart and you find yourself carrying burdens, things things uh, of, and it can be of various nature. Uh, it can just be, uh, it can just be a, it can be as, as simple as a financial reversal. Something didn't go as well in your business or in your farming or in your job or, or it can be a, a, uh, a relationship with someone at work that's not going very well and, and, or it can be a relationship in church or it can be a relationship in family. Just various aspects where you can suddenly find yourself, you're, you, you discover and realize you're, you're carrying a burden. This thing is occupying a lot of your thought time. It's occupying a lot of your, uh, energies. And, uh, you're, you're, uh, while you're, uh, while you're working and while you're doing your job, you realize in the back of your mind that, that, that burden is there. And that's the kind of thing we're talking about. Real people at times carry burdens. But what are the boundaries that surround that type of situation? Recently, the Lord reminded me of this verse in 1 Peter 5, verse 7, Casting your care upon him, for he careth for you. I don't know if anybody knows it well enough to know that I skipped the word in it. That's the way it came to me, my mind first, as I was pondering some things before the Lord and the Lord started to show me some of the burdens I was carrying, or I knew I was carrying them. He was just trying to help me uh, get rid of them. But first it was casting your care upon him for he careth for you. This, this started to minister to me. And I'm not, I don't remember if I actually went and opened the, the Bible to read it there, but at some point I realized it doesn't say that. It says casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. It, does, it doesn't just say casting your care upon him, it's casting all your care upon him. Now, that is inclusive, isn't it? That doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter what nature it is. It doesn't matter how big or how small it is. Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. That's a boundary that surrounds us um, as Christians, as real people. And we face from time to time burdens, find ourselves carrying them. And the Lord gives us instruction. The word care in this uh, scripture, First Peter there, the definition gives this idea to draw in different directions, to distract uh, that which causes care, especially an anxious care. And so you kind of get the picture of, uh, you know, that which draws in, in, in uh, different directions. You know, a care, can you kind of picture in your mind, it pulls you this way and that way and this way and that way, and you're trying to solve it in your mind, and it, it, it draws you in different directions. Psalm writer says in Psalm 37, verse 5, Commit thy way unto the Lord, trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. And also in Psalm 55, 22, Cast thy burden upon the Lord, and he shall sustain thee. He shall never suffer the righteous to be moved. Just some uh, verses that give us, that are boundaries to us, when we realize we are carrying burdens. And then we have that familiar scripture in Philippians 4, 
verse 6 and 7, be careful for nothing. King James uses the word careful. Other translations would use the word anxious. Uh, Be anxious for nothing or be anxious about nothing. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Um, again, the very similar to the to the other uh, the the the, the uh, scripture there in Peter. Um, by but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God, and the peace of God which passes all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. As an example, I thought about the uh, the situation there in Second Kings 19 where Hezekiah received the letter uh, from uh, Sennacherib, and Sennacherib was challenging Hezekiah with... Uh, uh, the fact that he was telling Hezekiah, your God is not going to be able to save you from me, <laughs> from my armies. And uh, what did Hezekiah do? He took the letter, went into his chamber, laid the letter out before the Lord, and just started praying. <laughs> That's a perfect picture of casting your care upon the Lord. Taking that thing, and here it is, God. This is what he's saying. And if if it counts on me, it's going to happen. But if it counts on you, well, that's a different story. Uh, so that's the picture of casting your care upon Him. So those are the uh, those are the some of the boundaries that surround us as real people when we find ourselves carrying burdens. We don't actually have to carry them. The Lord gives us boundaries, gives us a way to uh, work with them and and take care of them. <clears throat> All right, one more. Real people occasionally have a good laugh. Now you're. Maybe wondering if I'm getting off track here. There's a couple of Proverbs I'd like to read. Proverbs 17.22 says, A merry heart doeth good like a medicine, but a broken spirit drieth the bones. And Proverbs 15.13 says, A merry heart maketh a cheerful countenance, but by sorrow of the heart the spirit is broken. So is it okay to occasionally have a good laugh? As believers, aren't we to be sober-minded, serious? Doesn't James tell us to be afflicted and mourn and weep? Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Are we contradicting ourselves here? Well, think about the context of James. First off, Just a little bit earlier in that chapter, James says, Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? 
Whosoever will therefore be the friend of the world is the enemy of God. So the context in which he tells us to afflict ourselves and mourn and weep is the fact that we are we're we're postured as friends of the world and we think all the while we're a friend of God. And he's he's saying there's a problem with this. Turn to mourning, turn to weeping, uh, break your hearts before God and get this straightened out. He's not really suggesting that we live there 365 days a year for the next 50 years. But there's times and places and seasons for that mourning. So there are boundaries that surround our mirth, we might say. But occasionally having a good laugh. Real people occasionally have a good laugh. Mirth does do the heart good. And there should be some of that in our lives as Christians, as believers. While there are times of heaviness, and there are times of sorrow, and there are seasons that that is a part of our experience, there are also times when a good laugh is good for us. Real people with boundaries. So what is all packed in that statement? Real people with boundaries. To sum it up just a bit, I'd like to sum it up with Ephesians 2, 1 to 3. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. You know, that uh, that verse sums it up quite well on what I think might have been Uh, part of the motivation of that statement. Basically, what was being said is um, you know, we all started at the same place. Like Ephesians here says, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past. Fulfilling the desires of flesh and of the mind and were by nature the children of wrath even as others. That's where we've come from. We're not a superior race. We're not from some kind of a superior lineage. We all start at the same place. We all are born with a nature to selfishness that needs to be redeemed at the foot of the cross. Whether it's your children that are born in your homes or whether it's the little ones that are born in the city of Lebanon in the broken homes.
real people. You're not. You're like us. But yet. You are different. You're like us. But yet you are different. Real people with boundaries. You know, it's a joy to my heart to have that kind of a statement. It's, it's, almost, it's almost a statement that I feel unworthy of. Coming from one of our city ministry students. You are real people. Basically says we can relate to you. You meet us where we are. We can relate to you. You are real people. But you have boundaries. You don't do all the things we would do. Your life is guided differently than ours is. Real people with boundaries. Are you one of those? I trust you are. Let's close with prayer. Perhaps we could kneel together. Father, again, thank you. Thank you for being with us. For, again, giving us opportunity to look into your word. Allow our hearts to be refreshed in the things of Christ. Thank you, Father, for those little uh, glimmers, glimmers of joy, glimmers of uh, usefulness, glimmers of whatever, Lord, that from time to time touch our lives and, and help us to realize that, yes, taking the time to minister is not wasted time. Thank you for that, Lord. Father, again, as we, as we think about our lives, as we think about being real people, but having boundaries that guide us, thank you, Lord. Thank you for, thank you for the scriptures that bring those boundaries clearly to our hearts. Thank you that... Uh, Our lives have been deeply affected by those boundaries. And I pray that we could continue uh, to walk in that way and that the rising generations could personally grasp and own those boundaries as well. Find their life in Jesus. Find their life in obedience to him. Find their life in walking with our Lord. So again, Father, we say thank you. Thank you for this assembly. Thank you for the freedom our governments give us to meet. Thank you for all the places in the world today where the word of God is being preached. We pray a blessing and that your word would not return void, but that it would have an impact and effect on the hearts of the hearers. So again, Father, we we thank you for this assembly and uh, for your presence with us. We pray in the precious name of Jesus.
Amen.